So John chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write, the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said... They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Father, we thank you that we uh, can come to your word now. We pray that you would reveal uh, great truths to us. 
and uh, that uh, as a result that uh, our hearts would be warmed, challenged and changed. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it happens um, at Easter just about every year, just before Easter. A book goes on sale or a documentary goes to air, which makes some startling new claims about Christianity. Uh, This year it's a documentary and it's called The Nails of the Cross. Uh, You may have heard about it. Uh, It's been on the news and in some countries it went to air, I think on the Discovery Channel this week. Uh, I'm not sure about if it's been uh, aired in Australia this week. What's it all about? Uh, Some 20 years ago, some uh, road workers in Jerusalem accidentally uncovered a tomb. And inside that tomb uh, were discovered two boxes uh, which are called ossuaries. An ossuary is a box in which uh, bones, uh, human bones, were kept after the person was buried. An inscription on one of these boxes said Caiaphas. Uh, On the other box was the inscription Joseph son of Caiaphas. Now the documentary says that uh, maybe the Caiaphas in one of these boxes was Caiaphas, the same high priest who handed Jesus over to the uh, Romans to be executed. Apparently one of the boxes also contained some other items including two rather long and bent and rusted nails. So the documentary maker says this. He says, maybe these were the type of nails which were used to crucify people. And maybe these are the very nails which were hammered into the hands or the feet of Jesus. And maybe Caiaphas, despite being the high priest, was also superstitious. And maybe the high priest Caiaphas thought that if these nails were buried with him, then he would be protected in the next life. There's a few maybes in that, isn't there? Uh, The true archaeologists, however, say, well, maybe these were just the nails which someone used to, you know, etch the inscription onto the boxes. Maybe. Uh, The archaeology in the doco is uh, probably dodgy, but uh, if there is anything good about screening a documentary such as this just before Easter, then maybe it might be something which might actually shift people's attention back onto the real meaning of Easter, what Easter's really about. I mean, when you think about it, for lots of Aussies, Easter is about uh, the long weekend, it's about uh, barbecues, it's about... Uh, heading down to the beach, great day for it today. Uh, it's about chocolate eggs, Easter bunnies. Uh, you can even go down to our local theatre this week and uh, go and watch the movie Hop. Anyone seen Hop? Uh, Hop is a, it's, it's, it's about the Easter bunny's teenage son who uh, doesn't want to take on the father's profession. He wants to grow up and become a rock star instead. So there you go. But the reason that we're here today, the reason you're here, 
is because you realise that there is a, actually a connection between being nailed to a cross and the afterlife, uh, even your afterlife. Uh, the Bible passage which was read to us earlier was written by the Apostle John. It is his eyewitness account. You see, John was actually there. John was present on the very first Good Friday. He is one of the few people in history who with his very own eyes saw some long nails being hammered into the hands and into the feet of Jesus. What we see when we look at this passage, though, is there's something which is, I think is surprising about it, given that it's an eyewitness account. And the surprising thing is that John actually doesn't say very much about the nails or the cross uh, or even the pain that uh, Jesus experienced. In fact, uh, if you look at verses 17 and 18, so has everyone got that on their sheets, by the way? Uh, it's in your sheets, printed there to make it easy for you. Uh, on verses 17 and 18, it's John 19, by the way. Sorry about the typo. But in verses 17 and 18, uh, all that John tells us about the crucifixion is that uh, he tells us that Jesus carried his cross to a place which was called the skull. And then it says, Here they crucified him. You see, he's not actually terribly interested in telling us about describing exactly the, uh, what was done in the crucifixion. He's not so interested in the how. What John is interested in is the, the why. The why Jesus was crucified. And one of the keys to understanding why Jesus was crucified is the sign which was also nailed to the cross. Let's have a look at that in verses 19 and to 22. I'll read it for you. Verse 19. Pilate, that is the Roman governor, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Now, when the enemies of Jesus took Jesus to the Roman governor uh, to be sentenced, they did so on a trumped-up charge of treason. They said that Jesus claimed to be king. And because he claimed to be king, that that meant that he was obviously organising an uprising uh, to boot out the Romans who were occupying uh, Palestine at the time. Now, Pilate, the Roman governor, knew that Jesus was no threat. Uh, but he wanted to make maximum mileage of this. Uh, for him, the notice, the sign, was a, a little bit of sport. Uh, you see, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews who were in Jerusalem on that uh, particular week. It was Passover week. And for that reason, 
The sign was written in three different languages, in Aramaic, in, uh, in Greek, and in Latin. And that meant that, uh, that everybody who was there, no matter where they had come from, would be able to read that sign. And this was Pilate's idea. He wanted everyone to see uh, what he thought of the Jews. Here was their king, battered, bloodied, hanging from a cross and helpless. But was Jesus really helpless? Who really had authority at this time? Now, these days, uh, kings have very little authority, mostly, don't they? Um, and uh, some princes can't even get their hands on what little authority uh, remains in monarchs these days. Here's a bit of trivia for you. I learnt that yesterday, Prince Charles officially became the longest ever monarch in waiting in the history of the English throne. How about that, eh? <laughs> but when we read John's account carefully, we get this sense that Pilate and the Romans, even the Jewish leaders, that they're actually not the ones who are in authority. That there's someone else who's in authority here, someone else who has control of this situation. And that someone is Jesus. Let me show you why I say that. Firstly, there were three things which happened, which John says that they happened in order that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Number one, in verses 23 and 24, the soldiers stripped Jesus naked and then they divided up his clothes amongst themselves. Well, and John says that God had already said that that was going to happen. And he said so way back in Psalm 22. Number two. Uh, in verse 28, Jesus said that he was thirsty. This also was foretold way back in Psalm 22. And then thirdly, in verses 36 to 37, not one of Jesus' bones was broken and they pierced his side. Again, the Old Testament expected that this would happen. And we see that in Exodus chapter 12 and Zechariah chapter 12 as well. The sign was there to make a mockery of Jesus, the king of the Jews. But friends, this script had already been written. Uh, Jesus was not just a helpless victim. Uh, this was just not a terrible uh, miscarriage of justice. In fact, what was happening was all happening according to God's plan. God the Father intended for Jesus the Son to die. So that's the first way in which we see that uh, Jesus actually has authority. But secondly, in a dramatic twist, we see that Jesus himself intended to die. We see that in verses 28 and 29, where it says later, 
Knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to the lips of Jesus. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Uh, The other gospel writers say that with a loud cry, that he shouted, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, uh, wine vinegar was very cheap wine. It was the kind of wine that the, uh, the soldiers would use. I, I don't know what would be the modern equivalent, maybe a five-litre cask wine or um, clean skin wine or something like that. Uh, this was cheap wine, The soldiers would have had it on hand. And here Jesus says that he was thirsty. And someone kindly actually soaked some of that wine into a sponge and put the sponge on the end of a a stalk of hyssop and and lifted it up uh, so that it could get to his lips and Jesus could actually uh, drink some of that wine. The dry and parched throat of Jesus was, was moistened so that he could now shout loudly three words. It is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. What does that mean? Well, uh, it was actually too soon for Jesus to die. Uh, Crucifixion is an awful way to die. It is a very painful and a very slow method of execution. It's obviously not the nails which caused the death. Uh, Now, you see, when the body hangs, uh, air is trapped in the lungs so that the the victim has to kind of push upwards with his legs so so that he can breathe out. And because he can't breathe out very well, the breathing problem causes carbon dioxide to build up in his blood and then fluid builds up, which causes crushing pain against his heart and his lungs and the heart is kind of struggling to pump out blood. Uh, The lungs are having to work frantically in order just to gulp small little bits of air into the system. There are then terrible muscle-twisting cramps throughout the body. And eventually the the victim uh, has just got no strength left, uh, no strength to to push up uh, with his legs. And so if he hasn't had a heart attack already, what happens is that in due time... He just suffocates, just gives up. The air can't get out of his lungs. He stops breathing. And it could take literally days for this to happen. But the enemies of Jesus did not have days to wait. Uh, John tells us in verse 31 that the next day was a Saturday. And Saturday, of course, is the Jewish Sabbath. And this was a very special Sabbath because this was Passover week. It's one of the uh, most special Sabbaths that they have. And there were three men who were crucified that day. And they, they, they couldn't leave three men hanging, dying on crucifixes during such a holy day as the Sabbath. I mean, that would be spiritually unclean. In their hypocrisy, as they were actually in the, in the act of murdering Jesus, they thought that it would be uh, dishonouring to God 
to have three men hanging on crucifixes during the Sabbath. And so they went to the Romans and they got Pilate to get some soldiers to take up a mallet and go around and smash the legs of the uh, prisoners to to crack their, their tibia bones so that they simply couldn't push up any longer and they would die. It's brutal, isn't it? But when they got to Jesus, they discovered that Jesus actually had not hung on to life, that he was already dead. Why? Because he gave up his spirit and he did so with those words, it is finished. What did he mean by that? Was he saying, well, I've had enough, I've failed, it's all over, I might as well give up? No, not at all. Uh, before all of this, Jesus, in, his, in the three years prior to this, had performed great and mighty miracles. Mighty miracles which showed to everybody that this was no ordinary man. Mighty miracles that showed that he, in fact, was who he claimed to be, God come in the flesh. But yet, he kept on telling his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he would be handed over to wicked men and that he would be killed. The reason that Jesus came into this world, his main purpose was to die. Uh, Listen to what he once said to his disciples about his own life. This comes from John chapter 10. He said of his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and we'll hear about this on Sunday, and to take it up again. So why would Jesus want to die? Well, to understand that, we need to reflect on our world and we need to reflect on our lives. Now, it's very easy for us to see that uh, the world is not the way that we would like it to be. Um, One glance of any daily newspaper will tell us that. We read stories of wars, of murders, of assaults, of internet pornography of uh, corruption, of cyberbullying and all sorts of new things which we're having to deal with. The list goes on and on and on. And we wish that the world wasn't like this. We wish it was different. But from God's perspective, we all contribute to the corruption of our world in our own small way. Uh, We may not be people who will have newspaper articles written about us. We may not end up headlines. But the reality is that not one of us puts God first in our lives. Uh, We we have this tendency, I think it's, uh, when you think about it, we've got this tendency to to want to prefer to live our lives our way uh, rather than to live our lives God's way. Uh, Living our lives our way is what comes naturally to us living God's way, something which we've actually got to work harder at doing. And so the Bible says that 
says that we actually rebel against God's right to rule our lives. Now, you might think, well, I'm a hard-working person. Uh, I'm a, a moral, upright kind of uh, citizen. Uh, I'm even a churchgoer. And I'm very good in many ways. And uh, that, that is true of many of us, many of you, I'm sure. But sometimes pride can blind us to, uh, to what goes on in our hearts. Uh, let me try to illustrate that for you. I want you to imagine that uh, somebody had made a video of your last three days, 24 hours of your last three days. Not only when you're with people, but when you're not with people. Imagine what that video would be like. Here's something uh, even more, more confronting. Imagine if it was possible to make a video of your thought life over the last three days. How would that be? Would you like it if we put the video into the uh, laptop here and showed it on the big screen? Now, here, today. Be a bit, be a bit embarrassing, wouldn't it? Hugely embarrassing, because we all know that we have uh, desires and thoughts uh, which don't reflect God's way. <laughs> Uh, there might be some anger, some jealousy, some uh, hatred, some lust, some greed. We know that uh, we don't even live up to our own standards. How much more do we fail to meet the standards of a holy God? In fact, friends, the events of Good Friday make it very clear that not one of us is good enough for God. That's why Jesus deliberately died. Because when he gave up his spirit, he did so for us, for you and me. Now, uh, we love stories of human sacrifice, don't we? Uh, last December, there was a bushfire just uh, somewhere outside of Bathurst. And there was a 61-year-old man who was trapped uh, in the bushfire. Uh, he had nowhere to go. His body was being burnt. Still alive, but very, very badly charred. Uh, his 20-year-old son knew where the dad was. And uh, the story goes that uh, he, he, he deliberately and intentionally, without protection, walked through a wall of flame, knowing what that could do to him, but to get to his dad and to bring him out alive. He did so at great cost. 40% uh, of his own body was charred. It was a courageous sacrifice. And it illustrates uh, the idea of sacrificing oneself for the sake of others. Jesus has actually done much more than that young man did. Much more. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he did so for our sakes. Uh, you and I deserve to be punished by our holy God because of our sin. 
But when Jesus gave up his spirit, he knew that he was being punished by God, his Father, in our place. At the judgment which you and I deserve for our sin was being emptied out on Jesus instead of us. He deliberately died in our place. Uh, in the documentary, The Nails of the Cross, they speculate that Caiaphas thought that the nails would be a kind of like a good luck charm to get him through into heaven. But friends, we don't need any good luck, do we? What we do need is for Jesus to have paid the debt that we owed to God to bear the brunt of the judgment which we deserve. And what we need to do in response to that is to trust. To trust that Jesus has paid for our sin. We need to trust and we need to turn. To turn back to God. To stop living our way and instead to hand our lives over to loving, serving and obeying him. Him who loved us so much that he did not spare his only son. That's the message of Good Friday. It's my prayer that each one of us will consider whether or not we're putting our trust in Jesus. And if so, to keep on doing that. If not, to think about trusting and turning back to God. Can I lead us now in a time of prayer? Father, we do thank you for this uh, very first Good Friday that we've been uh, reading about. Uh, we thank you, Father, that Jesus gave up his life voluntarily, that he was actually in control of the situation that he had intended to come and to die on the cross. And we thank you that he did so for our sakes. Lord, uh, we acknowledge our sinfulness. We do uh, pray that each one of us would understand that uh, Jesus has paid that debt which we owed to you. And help us, Lord God, to keep on trusting in him and indeed to turn our lives over to loving and serving and obeying you in grateful response for what you've already done for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.